This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the current Ebola outbreak in Africa. With me to discuss the topic is Joseph Lefebvre, a journalist covering the issue for NewsRep. Joseph, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Briefly on background, listeners may recall the 2014 through 2016 Ebola outbreak in West Africa that infected over 28,000 and killing 11,000 in eight countries, moreover in Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. Formerly termed Ebola hemorrhagic fever and first identified in 1976, the five currently known Ebola virus species attack one's immune system, causing extreme fluid loss and can disrupt blood clotting, leading to internal external bleeding. Mortality rates vary from 20 to 90 percent. The virus is transmitted through bodily fluids. Corpses of Ebola victims can be even more infectious than those suffering uh, the infection. The current Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Congo, excuse me, where the virus is endemic, has claimed to date approximately 40, excuse me, 400 lives. Containing the virus has been difficult by the lack of medical professionals or public health infrastructure in Africa. For example, prior to 2014, or the outbreak in that beginning in that year, Liberia had only 50 physicians or one per 100,000. Contain the current Ebola outbreak in the Congo has been compromised by violence related to the country's December 30th presidential election, causing Congolese to flee their country and interrupting the emergency response. Finally, there is currently no licensed vaccine for the virus. So with that as background, Joseph, uh, can you tell me what's current relative to uh, the outbreak uh, in the Congo? So, yeah, so we're currently looking at um, this is the second largest outbreak in history and uh, the largest that the, the DRC has ever has ever seen. And what makes this outbreak particularly interesting is the first time that the Ebola virus has uh, broken out in this part of the DRC. So right now it's focused on the country's eastern border. Um, in uh, North Kivu province, uh, kind of epicentered around the city called Beni, or Benai. Um, sits right on the border uh, with Uganda and uh, South Sudan in the north. And um, what we've seen since the, the outbreak uh, started on 1 August of last year is that uh, regional violence with these different militia groups, um, some internally in the DRC, a lot coming from places like over the border in Uganda, uh, started to make it really tough for healthcare workers to get into the affected areas and um, you know use the experimental vaccines and but more importantly it made it a lot harder to track patients and um, do a lot of educational and outreach. Uh, so because of this, all the violence around the epicenter, uh, the the outbreak has gone um, is it, really grown in size and uh, you know the. The World Health Organization says that this current outbreak at this at this rate is going to last for at least another six months, and some people are saying that is a conservative estimate. So, 
You, you mentioned, uh, and I saw in my notes as well, that uh, with this um, political violence, there's concern the virus may spread to these neighboring countries. You mentioned Uganda and South Sudan. Have there been uh, cases reported in those countries? I mean, has it spread outside of the Congo? So, miraculously, not yet. Um, everyone who's watching this situation is, on a day-by-day basis, waiting for that first patient to show up um, in, in either of those two countries because there's a lot of cross-border transportation that occurs right there um, in the epicenter. You know, there's, I think it's like an estimated 11, and these figures aren't, I haven't checked these figures, but from last I remember, there's between 10 and 11 million people uh, transit through that area every year. So it's a really, it's a really big hub of regional travel. Okay, and since uh, the selection and the contention thereof, uh, the political situation, is it getting worse? Is it uh, stabilizing? Uh, I mean, that's sort of uh, compounding this problem. Uh, so assuming that improves, uh, health workers may be able to better to respond. So what's the status of the political instability? Well, it's, it's interesting, and I'm by no means an expert on uh, Congolese politics, but you had a, a man in power, uh, Joseph Kaliba, who's been in power for something like 59, 60 years, and a lot of people before the election were worried that he was never going to give up power. Um, so they held this election, and these, this election was uh, fraught with calls that it was illegitimate, or there was voting, voter tampering. You know, you had some val- some voting machines. Um, I think near Kinshasa, and, and I'm not 100 percent sure about that, but you had some voting machines that mysteriously burst into flames. Uh, you had reports of people seeing ballot boxes thrown in the trash. Um, and then you had the government say that voting would be suspended in these provinces on the eastern side that have the Ebola virus to prevent the spread. Uh, so then the the people in those regions who thought that their vote was being suppressed by the current regime well, started to riot. And you saw a lot of violence, you know, a lot of people taken to the streets. And there was a case of uh, an Ebola treatment center um, in Benny that was overrun by local protesters and 24 of the patients absconded from that treatment facility. No, luckily they were able, they were able to trace down or track down, I think all of the patients and most of the patients that were at that particular facility never fully developed the, the virus. You know, someone who's as a bull isn't going to be able to, to run off. These are people that were kind of in um, kind of being monitored and being tracked. So right now, uh, Kaliba's, did not he did not win or his party did not win re-election um this other guy uh shish it's a, it's a tough name to pronounce uh shishikiti felix shishikiti won allegedly won the election but now people are saying that well there's obviously some kind of deal worked out with the kaliba regime and with uh, shishikiti because the kaliba regime's party the uh Common Front for Congo, or it's also called like the FCC, is kind of their party. It retained power in the House and their ver- in their legislative body. Body. So you have two different parties controlling uh, the executive branch of the Congolese government, and then you have a different party that controls the legislative branch. So now people are saying, "Oh, well, this is a rigged setup." You know, they let. The Shishakiti win the presidential election, but to to do that, he had to agree to keep a lot of uh, Kaliba's policies in place. And the mechanism that that's going to happen through is by 
Kaliba's party retaining control of the legislature. So you get a lot of mistrust, a lot, and a lot of people from outside the Congo have been saying oh, this election's illegitimate, and you just kind of have a general mistrust from a lot of the population that the election was illegitimate. Um, so that's one aspect of the political situation being um, factored in uh, to the Ebola outbreak. And I wrote a story about that. You know, is is uh, is the DRC leadership weaponizing? Is they, are they turning Ebola into a political weapon? And some say yes, some say no. You know, some say that there were general or there was a, uh, you know, a, a clear and present danger to having these polling places open uh, and affected Ebola areas. And other people said, well, no, it's, you know, as long as no one with any symptoms goes in there, it'll be fine. And, um, but the other, you know, the other aspect of it is there's still regional violence in those, in those, areas where the virus is spreading so you have militia groups that are you know targeting healthcare workers and targeting civilians uh, one of the one of the biggest and most active is called the adf the allied democratic forces and they're from uganda they're loosely aligned with al-shabaab um but not you know they don't have like official they're not an official offshoot or something but they're loosely aligned so you've got kind of three different emergencies occurring in the DRC at one time. You've got the Ebola outbreak, which is now the second largest in history. You've got a political situation where you've got two different parties controlling the government and people saying the election's illegitimate. And then you got outside militia violence attacking healthcare workers. Perfect storm, as they say. Um... Yeah, I think that's um, when the, uh, the guy from the HWO um, – uh, that was his quote, was this is the perfect storm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's go to, okay, thank you. Let's go to uh, where the U.S. is or to what extent the U.S. is um, trying to aid or help in this effort. So what attention has the U.S. received or what monies have, have, has the U.S. Um, conveyed to World Health or otherwise? Uh, what's, the, um, what's our federal government's response been? So we actually have teams on the ground in the DRC from both uh, the Centers for Disease Control, Control and Prevention and from the U.S. Agency for International Development. So that's CDC and USAID. So both of those groups are actually on the ground in the affected areas, or at least they were up until recently. Um, their mission there was to assist the Congolese Health Ministry with, uh, you know, obviously patient care, but their main mission was vaccinating um patients that they're vaccinating people that were either believed to have been exposed to Ebola or were going to be, you know, healthcare workers or those family members who a family member came down with the virus. And um, U.S. teams have actually gone into South Sudan and Uganda and have begun uh, vaccinating patients or vaccinating healthcare workers along that border region. So they're actually working in three different countries. Um, both those agencies are also working, you know, a, a big part of Ebola and how to fight it is to track um, its spread by tracking patients down. You know, if, okay, if I know that patient A lives in a house with four other people, well, then we got to go find those four and then find all the people they talk to. So that's where the USAID and uh, the CDC really comes comes into play, where they, they do a lot of that work. Um, they also do a lot of education, a lot of outreach. You know, Ebola's – Unless, you know, because these communities have never experienced the virus before, and, and certainly not on, at this large scale, you have a lot of people who are relatively unfamiliar with it, and you're un, they're unfamiliar with how it spreads and you know, what can be done about it. And you know, even 
things you don't think about, like how do you uh, properly dispose of a body that's, you know, of a person who's died from Ebola. So we're doing a lot of that education as well. Right. Thank you. Um, and in fact, uh, to prevent infection, uh, barriers are pretty substantial, uh, full uh, body protection, uh, et cetera. Um, let me let me ask specifically, and this this issue was debated in 14 through 16. Uh, President Obama did not issue a travel ban. Uh, then I'm assuming we don't have one today, or there's not one presently in place. Not that I know of. And the last I heard from the World Health Organization is they don't they still don't consider this outbreak a threat to global health. Okay. You know, it's still because it stayed in those those provinces and it's at that one epicenter. They don't they really don't consider it a, a threat to the entire world, but certainly uh, Uganda and South Sudan are, are, you know, they're they're waiting to see what happens. Okay, and just compare and contrast current administration with the Obama administration. The Obama administration actually named, and it was crudely termed, an Ebola czar. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This administration has not named such a person. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, not not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, okay. And so- I'm curious to know and to ask you, and you're following or studying this subject, to what extent, if any, and in fact, my, to the extent that I follow this, I think I know the answer, but to what extent, if any, has the Congress, the U.S. Congress addressed or weighed in uh, on this? There, there's actually a, a new piece of legislation um, that just uh, got approved by the, by the House of Representatives, and that is the... Uh, the Pandemic and All Hazards Preparedness and Advancing Innovation Act of 2019. Um, so that was to get funding to help the U.S. respond to all hazards uh, response. You know that includes diseases and uh, you know biosecurity stuff like that. Um, as far as what Congress has done to to send money or to to get, take a more active role in the current outbreak, I I haven't seen much, if if anything. You know, there's been a lot of domestic political issues that have taken precedent over this. Right. Uh, this I was outbreak. going to go to the fact that a third of the government is shut down and we're approaching right. a month. So I'm sure that uh, plays into this. Uh, let me ask, um, you did mention their, their use of vaccines. However, in my uh-huh. opening, I noted that there is no licensed vaccine. However, there are vaccines with, let's just say, less than... Um, uh, easily identified names, the RVSVZEBOV vaccine. I don't think you could pronounce that. Um, that are showing some effectiveness. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what's the status of vaccination or finding a vaccine uh, for this? Uh, so, yeah, so they have that one, uh, that long acronym name vaccine. I think Merck, uh, or Merck, however you pronounce it, um, is the one who manufactures that. It's pretty much a. Uh, they take a. They take a, the uh, the vesicular stomatitis virus, which is an animal virus. Um, I think you know causes uh, flu-like symptoms to develop in people. Uh, they take that and they bioengineer and they add it. And they add, I think they add a, a an Ebola Zaire protein into the virus um, through through bioengineering. And when they inject it into the patient. Uh, you know, obviously it works like a vac. you know, like any other vaccine, you know, the immune system is supposed to fight it. Right now it's approved for, uh, you know, all the, I don't know about approved, but right now they're deploying it for, you know, frontline healthcare workers um, in the DRC, South Sudan and Uganda. 
Um, they're also giving it to people who uh, are that first line of, I guess, um, exposure. Mm-hmm. So if, if you and I li- if you and I live together and you developed Ebola, then I'd be eligible for the vaccine. Um, and then there is, I think it's also approved for the, or not approved, but, but being used for the second uh, tier of exposure. So if I had a girlfriend who lived down the street um, and you, my roommate developed Ebola, I would get the vaccine and then she would get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, where it's progressed right now. Um, it's, I, I think children over one years old, over 12 months can receive the vaccine, uh, but I don't think it's approved for pregnant women. Um, and there's been some stories coming out of the DRC about women either showing signs of Ebola or having been exposed to Ebola, you know, giving birth to these, these miracle babies that, that didn't have the virus and survived. Um, but for women that are pregnant and, and are in that, uh, that trio of criteria, they, they can't receive the virus. They can't receive the vaccine. So you, you bring up an interesting point. I'm curious. So the, the, the virus can be uh, uh, conveyed from uh, um, mother to the to the fetus and the newborn. Is that is that is that correct? Yes. Okay. It's something that's relevant related to the Zika problem, as we remember. Right. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. Uh, Transition yeah, pathway. Same, uh, yes. Issue. Right. 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 Um, let me let me just ask, uh, and then of course, just to confirm, you mentioned CDC and USAID's effort last time in 14 through 16. The Obama administration sent uh, military personnel to West Africa. That's not the case in this instance, is it? No, we have we have military assets in the area, um, but their mission is not Ebola related. You know, there's uh, different Islamic terrorism groups that we're actively um, tracking and fighting, and you know, aiding other countries in fighting, you know, you got Boko Haram, you got Al-Shabaab, you got ISIS West Africa, you know, they go by different names, but so there, there is a military pre- pre- uh, presence in the area, but their mission is not a uh, bullet response. So these soldiers that are over there now are, you know, your, your, your special operations soldiers and, um, you know, some of your more advisory soldiers in 2014, 2016, you know, we sent, you know, military medical personnel there and, mil- and military, support elements that could develop the infrastructure needed to, you know, open the big centers and stuff like this. That, that's not the case for this, for this outbreak, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. So my, my last question may be, so this outbreak, presuming uh, it's contained within the next six months, it will have been a, a year long, and we may approach, sadly, upwards of 1,000 deaths this time, although certainly much less than the 11,000 uh, last go-around. Um, but since it is endemic in the in the Congo and is spreading, and absent a licensed or truly effective vaccine, we're going to see this over and again, are we not? Yeah, I mean, Ebola is one of those really uh, slippery viruses where, where researchers have a really tough time figuring out, you know, how patient zero was initially exposed. You know, there's theories about bushmeat and about, uh, you know. Katum Cave and Bat Guano and and but I don't I don't think anyone can say for sure you know mm-hmm. and the thing about that is we ha- I don't think we've discovered uh, the ideal host for Ebola you know any virus is looking for a host that it can it can live in and have a symbiotic relationship you know with humans it's very deadly and and, and it tends to kill human beings relatively quickly so human beings aren't a, aren't a good host for Ebola right. you know we we die we die too quick. Um, I don't think we've identified whether it be 
is it an insect? Is it some kind of uh, plant? Is it a different mammal that is the one who carries this virus around most of the time? I, I, it's just something that's been a really – research have had a really tough time you know, putting their finger on, hey, this is where Ebola comes from, and this is how we can prevent it. So you're absolutely right. Uh, there's There's no – you know, unless we develop and market a vaccine and give it to everyone else, just like we did polio, there's a good chance that we're going to see another Ebola outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's, what's interesting to me about this particular outbreak, though, is is kind of how uh, the political instability and the regional violence have really impeded the ability of the outside humanitarian infrastructure and, and world to come in and help. You know, 2014, 2016, you have over 11,000 people died, and we and we collectively, as as humanity, learned a lot of lessons about how we, you know, the PPE required, and you know how we track patients, how we deal with the mass influx of patients, and there were a lot of lessons learned from that outbreak that unfortunately we're not able to implement in this outbreak because of the the situation on the ground, and you know we've had different diseases outbreak during wars, you know, that's, especially. A hundred years ago, it was very common that you know more soldiers would die of right World War One disease. Right, right. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's not the case anymore. And you know when we have, if we have systems in place to ensure that when our soldiers go downrange, you know they don't die of disease. But this is really the first time that we've seen, you know, for all intents and purposes, a, a regional little conflict um, coincide with a horrible disease outbreak, and how that relatively small conflict is just completely negating the the outside world response effort so hopefully you know when we get a handle on this humanity looks at at this case as an acid test and says okay this is this is how we failed and this is why you know because like i talked about earlier ebola i mean you know eleven thousand patients is a lot but when you look at other pandemics it's not you know, it's not anywhere near to how many the flu kills. But the thing about Ebola is it's very terrifying. It's very viscerally scary. But but on a when you look at other diseases, it's not that deadly because it kills so fast. Um, but, but what I worry about, what keeps me up at night is, okay, well, what if the next time something like this occurs in a similar area where there's similar things happening on the ground, you know, what happens next time when that's a new strain of the flu or when that's a new strain of pox? that spreads really rapidly and uh, you know, it's easier to contract than Ebola. So hopefully we take the lessons we're learning now on the DRC about how these little conflicts impede response and we figure out ways around it so that the next time this happens, we're better prepared. Well, well stated. The interaction between the political unrest and the violence that's bred uh, and the interaction of that reality with this disease or virus outbreak um, you, it's, it's tough to address one without addressing the other, as you um, note. So maybe you're right. Maybe we'll learn our lesson here. So it is an in, interesting intersection between public health and whatever military role to reduce um, political violence. So with that, uh, Joseph, thank you uh, so much for our time. I genuinely appreciate this overview. Uh, let's hope this abates uh, per the World Health's uh, guessman in six months and the death toll uh, doesn't uh, reach uh, much greater numbers and we'll hope for the best so thank you again thanks for having me you have just heard another edition of the healthcare policy podcast hosted by david intricasso to comment on this program or others 
to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.